Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. This week's Torah portion is entitled Parshat Behar. The word Behar means on the mountain. Moshe Behar Sinai Lemor. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, What follows is a series of mitzvot, a series of commandments, particularly relating to agriculture. But the title of the parsha, the first verse, Behar, brings up a question. If these commandments were given at Mount Sinai, what about the other commandments? Isn't there a tradition within Jewish thought that the entire Torah was given on Mount Sinai? Why just these? Why are these identified as having been given on Mount Sinai? Well, the truth is that that idea that the entire Torah was given on Mount Sinai is not universally accepted in Jewish tradition. Some say, yes, all of the commandments were given, and then they have to deal with why these are singled out as having been given on Mount Sinai. To others, only those specified as having been given on Mount Sinai were, in fact, given on the mountain. To others, the idea of any of the commandments being given on Mount Sinai beyond the Ten Commandments, the Aseret HaDibrot, the, 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 the Ten Statements, the Ten, uh, uh, which we call the Ten Commandments, Aseret HaDibrot, as recorded in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, that they were given on Mount Sinai. And yet, there are still others who take a much more liberal view who say that the commandments weren't actually given on Mount Sinai. What the people heard was in some way they felt the presence of God, and in fact, in one particular interpretation, they heard only the first letter of the Ten Commandments. And the rest of the Torah was written by those who had been inspired by hearing that first letter. And that first letter of the Ten Commandments is an Aleph, a silent letter in Hebrew. And some have said that it was out of the silence at Sinai that human beings were inspired to write the Torah and to include all of the commandments which they then attributed to the divine. This is a wide open area for interpretation. And all of us will eventually focus on one particular interpretation which we find most meaningful. But whenever I read the first sentence of this particular parsha. And here it said that God gave these commandments to Moses, Behar Sinai, on Mount Sinai. I can't get by the word Behar without thinking about mountains in general. Because I, and I know so many people, past, present, and God willing for generations into the future, find great inspiration in mountains. I love mountains. And I love to climb up mountains. Now, I want to make it clear I'm not a rock climber. I'm not a mountain climber. When I talk about climbing mountains, I talk about walking up paths on mountains, some more difficult than others, as you'll hear. But I think about the mountains that I've climbed and the experience that means something the most to, to, to me about them. I remember so many occasions where, if not mountains, I climbed hills, actually sand dunes, with our children as we spent uh, vacations up in northern Michigan and anybody who's ever climbed some of the sand dunes in Michigan or the trails that go up to the top of the dunes know that that's quite a climb in and of itself. I also think back to climbs that I took on mountains with campers from Camp Ramon, New England, where I spent so many summers in this Jewish educational camp and we tried 
not only to have our Jewish education take place in classes that were at camp or in, or in programs that we did, but also in the ways that we related to nature on overnights or on hiking trips or on camping trips. And I had the opportunity to climb several mountains in Massachusetts with campers from Camp Ramah, including a mountain called Mount Everett. There's no S in that, Mount Everett. A little shorter than Mount Everest, you can be sure, not quite as high, but, but every bit as meaningful in terms of the way that it ex we experienced it when climbing with a group of kids who would look out and at every, at every uh, turn in the trail and see the beautiful valleys below. And we would talk about the meaning of, of, of the creation and the beauty of God's creation and say a bracha, a blessing when we reached the top of the mountain that, that would, would emphasize the beauty of the world that God has created for us. But the most memorable mountain climb in many ways that I've experienced took place during my year in Israel in 1979 when we did a five-day camping trip and hiking trip through the Sinai Desert. The Sinai was returned to Egypt as part of the Egypt-Israel Peace Accords a few months after we made this trip. It was a phenomenal trip. It, it, was, it pushed us all, I'm going to speak for myself, it pushed me to the limits. And I was, it was quite an accomplishment physically. And again, seeing the beautiful, beautiful scenery was, was just, just a, a tremendous experience. The particular mountain I have in mind, though, that we climbed was a mountain called Jabal Musa. And our guides woke us up at three in the morning and we climbed up the mountain, concluding the climb with a series of hundreds of steps that had been carved into the mountain to enable pilgrims to climb to the top. And then came down on another stairway, which was even longer, as I recall, to the bottom of the mountain where lies a monastery, the monastery of Santa Caterina, St. Catherine's Monastery. It was a phenomenal trip. It was a phenomenal hike. And the view from the top was indescribably beautiful. The mountain is called Jebel Musa in Arabic, which means the hill of Musa. Musa is a character, a very important figure in Islam, who spoke to God from this particular mountain according to the tradition. Now you might have figured out by now that the name Musa is very close, of course, to the name Moses. And that this is, in essence, the same story of a prophet named Musa, Moses, speaking, to, speaking with God on this particular mountain. But you notice that I said that the mountain is called Jabal Musa and that there's a Christian monastery, but I didn't bring up anything about Jewish tradition. There's Islamic tradition and Christian tradition. Why, don't we, why didn't I find anything, why didn't I say anything about Jewish tradition relating to this mountain? And that's because, according to Jewish tradition, we don't know which mountain Mount Sinai was. And there's no attempt to identify Mount Sinai with any particular mountain in the Sinai Desert, unlike in Islam and in Christianity. So the question is why? Why did Jewish tradition stay away from identifying a mountain as Mount Sinai? And I want to give you three possible reasons for that. I'm sure there are many, but I'll give you three. First of all, 
because the mountain is so carefully connected, so completely connected with Moses as a figure, Jewish tradition has always looked upon Moses as a dangerous figure in one way, in terms of the way that we remember him. We are really in, uh, obligated, according to Jewish tradition, not to view Moses as anything more than a prophet. And the concern was, if we knew where places in Moses' life took place, we might end up venerating Moses as a god. And for that reason, according to the Torah, we don't know the place of Moses' burial. And the idea perhaps was that if we were to identify a mountain with Mount Sinai, it would end up being a shrine to venerate Moses. Think of the name, Jabal Musa, and that nobody wanted this, moment, uh, this mountain to be called Har Moshe, Moses' mountain. Secondly, there was a great tradition within Judaism that Mount Sinai was not the highest mountain in the area. In fact, this Jebel Musa is among, if not the highest mountain in the area. But according to the Jewish tradition, there was a, a, a struggle between the mountains. Each one, so many wanting to be the mountain upon which God gave the Torah, claiming they were bigger, they were more prominent. But according to the tradition, God chose a mountain which was less prominent to teach us humility. And therefore, we wouldn't know specifically which mountain was Mount, was Mount Sinai. And I think there's a third reason, and this is the one I really want to focus on. The third reason is that if we focused on Mount Sinai, we would focus on only the Torah itself, only the written Torah, going back to what I how I began this uh, podcast with all of the commandments or some of the commandments or even a sense of silence. We wouldn't think about where we the Torah took us and where we took the Torah after the revelation at Sinai. The reality is that in Jewish tradition, no matter how important the Torah is, the five books are, no matter how important that text is that we read every Shabbat morning during services, no matter how important it is, what really makes the Torah important is all of the interpretation, all of the wisdom, all of the questions, all of the commentaries, all of the wrestling, all of the debates that that Torah has led us to over the centuries, over the millennia. If we went back to Mount Sinai and venerated the mountain as a sacred place, we would be denying all that has taken place after the giving of the Torah at Sinai that really makes the Torah meaningful, how we've adapted it to different situations, to different times, how we've expanded on the wisdom, how we've learned more from it, how we've learned to take it with us from one place to another, and again, using that word, adapted to our situation. It would become, in essence, a, a, uh, a fixed document, which of course it is in the text, but it's not a fixed document in our minds. It is for us to struggle with, to wrestle with, to ask questions about, and to debate. And perhaps if we were to identify a mountain as Mount Sinai and make a pilgrimage to that place, we would be denying that any mountain we stand on can be Mount Sinai if we use that moment to study Torah and to increase the wisdom of Torah. And that's why I go back to climbing the mountain with these kids at Camp Ramah putting it in the context of what we were doing 
of how we were teaching kids about Jewish ritual and about Jewish values and walking together up the mountain, that mountain in essence for that moment became Mount Sinai. Just as every bima, every pulpit in the synagogue becomes Mount Sinai when Torah is taught from there. Every classroom becomes Mount Sinai. Every Shabbat table in essence becomes Mount Sinai if we teach Torah there, if we take the wisdom of Torah and adapt it and connect it to our needs and to our moments. So therefore, I think those that's the real reason for me, the most important reason why we don't identify a mountain as Mount Sinai. Because to do so would be to, not, to deny the fact that Torah can be given, can be learned, can be advanced, can be spread at any, in any mountain, in any valley, in any street, in any home, in any synagogue, in any summer camp, in any place where people try to teach and to advance the values of Torah. Until next time, thank you.